Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now preparing gamma radiation chamber. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's show, we're going to be breaking down the trailer for the upcoming She-Hulk series. And we also have reviews for the Firestarter remake and the first season of Halo. Plus, we're talking this past week in wrestling. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. So first, we got some news on the future of Star Wars from Vanity Fair. Well, yeah, Vanity Fair dropped a metric ton of Star Wars news this week as they delved into the future of the Disney Plus series that are planned. One of those plans being director John Watts' first excursion into a galaxy far, far away. Now confirming earlier rumors on a project codenamed Grammar Rodeo, the former Spider-Man director will be taking the helm of this post-Return of the Jedi series that will be around the same time as The Mandalorian. The series has been described as a coming-of-age tale targeted towards younger audiences, which makes sense for a director like John Watts after coming off Spider-Man No Way Home. So yeah, it sounds like the main cast is going to be between the ages of 11 and 12. Uh, so I'm getting like some strong like standby me in space vibes, uh, which is unique. I mean, <laughs> it's something we haven't seen, you know, from Star Wars before. So I'm all in. Funny enough, that sounds a lot like the description of that High Republic series that they had in mind as well. Like they were going to make a Stranger Things but in space series for before um, the prequels uh, they had uh, in the works. Yeah, I totally forgot about that rumor and they make no mention of it in the article, right? No, not at all. So maybe that's something like in the works or maybe that was complete BS. Who knows? Or maybe that's a case of someone getting two stories mixed up because that sounds like a couple different shows that, you know, they talk about in this article. Yeah, exactly. While the Grammar Rodeo project doesn't have a release date just yet, Vanity Fair enlightened us with release windows for Mandalorian Season 3, Andor, and Ahsoka. First up will be a late summer release for Andor, while Mando Season 3 is looking to take a uh, maybe late 2022 or even early 2023 release. And then Ahsoka is of course set for 2023. So basically everything's still on track, because that's all kind of what we originally heard. You know, mm -hmm. when it came to release dates for, you know, all three, you know, shows. So, dear God, does that mean that we're going to have Andor and She-Hulk running at the same time? Uh, it's possible. <laughs> Is this going to be like an Obi-Wan and Miss Marvel situation? <laughs> Most likely. Disney Plus is trying to kill us. <laughs> exactly. And speaking of Andor, creator Tony Gilroy gave some details on Diego Luna's character, Cassian Andor, and what the first season is all about. Gilroy, while talking to Vanity Fair, stated, this guy, you know, gave his life for the galaxy, right? I mean, he consciously, soberly, without vanity or recognition, sacrificed himself. Who does that? I mean, that's what this first season is all about. It's about him being really revolution averse and cynical and lost and kind of a mess. Have they confirmed K2 being part of the series? I 
don't think so. I mean, at least I haven't seen any reports. Maybe that would be like something they lead into. Yeah, because you got to figure that at somewhere along the way that they meet up and, you know, that's going to be part of the story. Because mm. I love the dynamic between those two. So it would just be such a missed opportunity if that wasn't like a big part of the show, like their relationship. Especially when I think about, you know, who Cassie and Andor was before the events of Rogue One. It really seems like he was probably more of a cold hearted person. And that character might not be too fun to watch without another person like K2SO. But at least this series is going to explore how he got to that point in his life anyway. I gotta say, I do love the concept for the show. Um, you know, kind of seeing the darker side of the rebellion and having Andor be the guy that they have to go to when they need someone to get their hands dirty. Um, I don't know. It just sounds pretty fucking badass. And, and a side we haven't seen from the rebellion in the past, at least on screen. Another series in the works for Disney Plus is The Acolyte and showrunner Leslie Headland gave some details about the show to Vanity Fair as well. Leslie spoke on the show taking place about a hundred years before The Phantom Menace, a time in which the Jedi are in kind of a renaissance as they put it, um, and are pretty much blissfully ignorant of the dark times to come. The series is said to explore the political and sociological climate in which a dark lord like Sidious could you know, sneak in and come to power without Jedi sensing it, which I think will be a very fascinating way to explore the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and you gotta expect that we're gonna see a, a younger Yoda here, right? Since it's a hundred years into the past? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what, do they make him, like, 500? <laughs> so, I mean, that's got to be a thing. I mean, I would think that he's part of the Council at that point. We know he's part of the High Republic series, you know, at least in the books. So, I would assume that he's going to show up here. But I don't know. I mean, it, it should be interesting to see, like, where things start to go wrong with the Council. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, how they get kind of so, like, rigid and stuck in their ways. And this show should really allow you to, like, dive deeper than we've ever dived before into like the lore of the Jedi and their beliefs and all their rituals and everything. A real look on what it means to be a Jedi. Like I really love the way that Leslie kind of described how the Jedi are going to be kind of perceived in this. Like she described the way that they're dressing is in a way that you know they know they're not going to get into a fight they're almost arrogant to the idea of like the dark side being around at any corner so i think there's going to be a lot of cool little things here to do with a character like you know possibly a sith character showing up in this universe though they do have to deal with the fact that mace windu you know said that line you know no sith has been seen for like thousands of years but maybe it's a case of them not actually seeing them in the series and they're just mm. kind of like operating in the shadows while the future for Star Wars right now really seems to be focused on shows for Disney+, Plus, Kathleen Kennedy also came out to discuss the future of films as well. Um, one of the revelations that came out during this conversation with Vanity Fair was that Patty Jenkins' Road Squadron film seems to be kind of on the sidelines for right now, as they're kind of pushing forward with other projects. Uh, Patty herself is currently working on ironing out the script for Star Wars Rogue Squadron, but also has a lot on her plate with DC's Wonder Woman 3, though who knows what's going to happen with Wonder Woman with the current shakeup over at Warner. Kathleen Kennedy has also confirmed there is a roadmap for, you know, future films in Star Wars, but also kind of spoke to the fact that she hopes to get a team of directors together that can make the same amount of commitment to Star Wars in a similar fashion that Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni have. Another director Kathleen Kennedy mentioned was Ryan Johnson, as they are still planning on a trilogy from The Last Jedi director. It seems the reason these films have yet to begin development is because of Ryan Johnson's current schedule and you know commitments to Netflix with the sequels to Knives Out. 
So perhaps after this deal with Netflix is over, um, a new trilogy will be in the works. And listen, like I'm totally fine with them kind of moving away from the Skywalker saga, but at the same time, it feels like they're having a hard time getting like a film project off the ground for some reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know they have a lot of different like projects in the works, but I don't know. It just it just concerns me, and I'm hoping that there's like a clear, cohesive vision of like what's next on the film front. You know, from Star Wars. I mean, at this point, it's been a couple years since Rise of Skywalker, so you would think that they would have things mapped out, of, you know, for the future of the films, but that doesn't seem to be the case at all. Like we just keep on hearing about all these different projects, but there seems to be little or no movement at all i mean because right we've got one coming from foggy and uh taika so i, I mean <laughs> and i can't keep track of all the other different rumors that have been going around mm -hmm. i mean right there's something about the old republic that the you know, weren't the game of thrones guys attached to at one time yeah but they they dropped that. yeah <laughs> I, I know they dropped that but is that still like are they just looking for different directors mm. you know to get behind that I, I don't know. Like, it just, it feels like we're all over the place. And I mean, I'm fine with them emphasizing the series right now um, because I've enjoyed for the most part everything that they've done. But at the same time, like, I want to see Star Wars on the big screen. Like, <laughs> that's where I feel like Star Wars truly belongs. And at this point, it just feels like we're years from that happening. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, like, take your time and get it right, but... It just feels like we're all over the place with all these announcements. No, I think you really got this right. Cause just based off of her verbiage, you know, stating like, you know, we're looking for a team of directors to work on this and, you know, really devote themselves. It makes it seem like, okay, Kevin Feige only probably wants to do one or two films. Taika maybe only wants to do one film and they want someone that's going to be more committed and people that are going to be able to do something similar to probably what they want to see with the MCU. They want like a figurehead that's going to, you know, have a vision map for all these, you know, films, but they don't. It's, it does, I don't know why they don't have that at this time. And is, <laughs> is Favreau just not interested? Does he just want to work on the TV end of things? I don't know. Because you would think that would be the right person, right? Just to stick Favreau in charge of everything. And he probably has tons of Star Wars ideas. He seems to be super, super in love with all this. Yeah, because it, it just kind of feels like they're just throwing shit against the wall and hoping something sticks, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> with all these different projects. And maybe that's the case. And hopefully they all stick. But what about Filoni? I know he's working side to side with, you know, Favreau. But, I mean, it would feel like he would be, like a key voice that you'd want to tap into as like, you know, maybe the next visionary, you know, for the franchise for, you know, years to come. I mean, the only thing that makes sense to me right now is that both of them have said no yeah. to being in charge. Right? Because it, it, it just feels like it would be a given. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't I know. mean, you don't think it's a case that they're actually waiting for, you know, Ryan Johnson to be available for their next like Star Wars films. And maybe they have all their eggs in that basket. No, because they have so many other projects announced. Mm -hmm. Unless they see Johnson's trilogy as kind of the center of what they're doing. And the rest of the films are just kind of like going to revolve around that. Um, but I mean, the other movies are all from different time periods. So it just feels like mm -hmm. they can move ahead without, you know, Johnson, you know, being ready. 
All right, so moving on from Star Wars, we also have some huge Marvel news this week. Variety this week claims Covert Affairs creators Matt Corman and Chris Ord um, are working on a new Daredevil series for Disney+. The series set to bring Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio back together in their respective roles of Daredevil and Kingpin, warring over the, you know, the soul of Hell's Kitchen, may also be a continuation of the Netflix series their conflict made famous. The Hollywood Reporter is calling it a kind of new but continued series of the Netflix show, which is most likely another way of saying a soft reboot. Having now introduced Cox as Daredevil and Spider-Man No Way Home, along with Kingpin and Hawkeye, it's inevitable to see these two added again, though none of this has been confirmed by Disney just yet. Both characters, though, have been heavily rumored to appear in Echo following the events of Hawkeye. So yeah, I mean, pretty much where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, we heard this rumor like a couple weeks ago. Um, so it's nice to have a little bit of confirmation, even though it's not, you know, coming from Marvel. You know, Variety is a pretty reliable source. So mm -hmm. I'm sure an announcement is coming, you know, shortly. Um, I'm totally fine with it being a soft reboot. I know a lot of people are clamoring for this to be like a direct sequel to, you know, the Netflix series. But I just feel like, tone wise you might have kind of a clash because i can't imagine them be able to go as dark and gritty as what we got from netflix and already from what we've seen of kingpin from the hawkeye series he feels like a different version of the character right i mean at least you know powers and ability <laughs> so i mean if if daredevil was going up against this kingpin in the netflix series it the show would last one episode so um otherwise they're gonna have some serious like explaining to do like why he's you know powered up to this extent um but i'm sure it's a case of them not wanting to like really retell daredevil's origin story all over mm -hmm. again and this is going to be you know introducing us to a daredevil who's already very much active you know in hell's kitchen and a kingpin who's you know well established in the underworld um, which we've already seen. So all in all, I feel like this is probably the best scenario when it comes down to it. I mean, yeah, as far as transitions go, I feel like this would be the easiest one to make. Like, even if it is like a hard reboot, I, no one's going to be too confused between the two shows, I feel like. Yeah, I, I feel like Marvel fans have a good idea who Daredevil is at this point. And the ones who don't will easily get caught up throughout the series, you know, just naturally. And who knows? I mean... Maybe we're wrong and that they're willing to kind of like dive in to like a darker version of the MCU. I mean, they have like all of a sudden on Disney Plus, once those Netflix shows did arrive, they did like, you know, up their parental controls. You know, I, I don't mm. know if you caught that, you know, when you oh, logged in the first time. <laughs> I was like, wait, what the fuck is this? And then and that really coincided with the arrival of those series. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe they're willing to go all out and give us these street level hero stories, you know, the way that they were meant to be told. Speaking of Echo, though, an official synopsis was released along with the cast list. Um, with the first image of Echo, Marvel stated, streaming exclusively on Disney Plus in 2023, the origin story of Echo revisits Maya Lopez, whose ruthless behavior in New York City catches up with her in her hometown. She must face her past, reconnect with her Native American roots, and embrace the meaning of family and community if she ever hopes to move forward. So it really sounds like it's going to be like her journey into becoming a hero. Um, you know, speaking of Daredevil, there are rumors that he might be showing up 
in this series, which makes sense since he plays a huge role in her origin story in the comics. Uh, but we'll see if they want to introduce him, you know, before his series. Um, you know, but we also heard the rumor that we're going to see Matt Murdock in the She-Hulk series, which we'll be talking about shortly. Yeah, a lot of people were quick to point out that both uh, Kingpin and Daredevil weren't in the cast list. But I'm assuming if they were going to be a part of the show, they'd watch. Yeah, it they're going to keep right? that a surprise, like, you know, even if it's uh -huh. like them just showing up for an episode or two. We've also got some news about a possible new Peggy Carter project. The Diz Insider recently came out with a rumor that a live action project for Captain Carter is in the works for the MCU. First appearing in What If Season 1, Haley Atwell's Peggy Carter gets a dose of Super Soldier Serum instead of Steve, creating an alternate universe in which Captain Carter leads the charge. But there's no word if that variant of Peggy will be the one that makes it to the live action project. However, executive producer of What If Brad Winderbaum has stated that Captain Carter will be one of the larger continuing threads in the What If series as they move forward into Season 2. Well, if that's the case, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of like juggle the two, you know, stories, um, unless it is just a variant of her. I mean, either way, mm -hmm. I'm super stoked for this. I mean, I loved Agent Carter, so love that, you know, we get more of this character, especially with her wielding a vibranium shield. I also thought it was interesting that, you know, Winterbomb was all like, Captain Carter is going to be the main thread. He made it sound like the you know relationship between Captain Carter and the Watcher was more important than any of the other heroes. Now, I would feel like the hero he'd probably want to go back to the most would be Doctor Strange, especially since, you know, he's holding <laughs> this incredible power within an orb. But I, I don't know. Well, he might be kind of limited, though, what he can do story wise with Strange if he's just watching over that orb. I mean, I'm sure he'll Fair. eventually make an appearance or we'll see some variant of Doctor Strange pop up. I could see it as a situation where Peggy's the long arm of the Watcher and he like sends her off, like leading a team on missions to, you know, correct any kind of like fractures happening throughout the multiverse. Um, you know, it'd be very similar to what we got in the Exiles uh, comic book series uh, with Blink and crew. That definitely could be a cool concept. Um, although I, I still want them to tell those like individual, you know, stories of the different like multiverses and everything. Um, and then maybe like just the common thread is like Peggy, you know, eventually showing up, you know, to put things right at the end. But live action wise, I mean, I have no idea what direction they're gonna go into. Cause I, exactly. I can't imagine them tackling a story with that big of a scope, you know, or, you know, maybe we see her like starting to pop up in other, you know, Marvel films. Now that we know that the multiverse is just in complete, you know, total chaos. Oh, and we also got some new details on Secret Invasion. Kevin Feige, while promoting Secret Invasion, came out with some details on when the series will take place, which to many surprise, the series is actually going to be back during the blip, you know, that five year period where the half the universe was gone. And when you think about that time period, Nick Fury was also gone during it. Uh, so could this series possibly be about Ben Mendelsohn's, you know, Talos taking over that role of Nick Fury during those five years, along with several other scrolls? Could that be their version of of secret invasion yeah and maria hill is also blipped out right yes mm -hmm. right she she also disappears in that scene um yeah so both of them will probably be scrolls because we know that she's supposed to be part of the series also right exactly so I, it's 
an interesting concept. It, it's something that I wasn't expecting at all. Um, who knows what that means for the grand scheme of things with the MCU? Like maybe something currently happening is not what it, it seems. And this is really kind of like laying the groundwork for that, um, you know, for like a bigger invasion. Um, but that just might be me, you know, daydreaming. <laughs> I mean, the Secret Invasion comic book series disappointed me. So I just have a bad feeling that this is going to disappoint me scope wise. Because what ends up happening is speculation ends up getting the best of you. And you just kind of get lost in all the different possibilities. You know, like, oh, my God, what if Wong is a scroll? And like, you know, <laughs> like shit like that, where it's like, OK, well, it's probably not as big as you really are you know, hoping. Mm. Uh, I just hope that it ends up leading to like a scroll, you know, invasion, like actually like a war, um, you know, something huge. Although at this point, it does seem like the scrolls that have been introduced in the MCU are a lot less hostile, you know, towards Earthlings um at this point and maybe it's a case of it's just this group that is and maybe like i could totally see the series being like talos is trying to stop the scroll queen as you know nick fury or something like that or maybe it's a case of the blip causing the scrolls to see you know humanity as a threat well christian to top things off in an already jam-packed week news wise for marvel we got a trailer for the upcoming she-hulk series want to be a normal anonymous lawyer can you tell us where she hulk is jen you're a story now girl your ass looks crazy right now you could be an avenger oh i'm not a superhero that is for billionaires and narcissists and adult orphans for some reason all right so before we break down the trailer Christian, what did you think of the CGI? A little rough, right? Yeah, it's a bit stiff. You know, I'm usually hard on like comedy series, but the jokes weren't what threw me off. It was the CGI of this trailer, like for legit. Like I paused after seeing her in that first action sequence when like the chainsaws are coming at her. I, we'll, we'll get into it more when, when we actually go through it, but yeah. There's like also like, I don't know, like there's a few shots of her face that felt like almost murky to me too. Mm. Um, so hopefully the CGI is like a work in progress. I mean, we did hear that they were having a lot of issues with like different artists, you know, just because of like COVID like protocols and everything. So, you know, cause that was kind of leading to all the rumors of the series being delayed, but that's not the case because the release is right around the corner. It's, you know, dropping August 17th. But without delay, let's go ahead and get into the trailer. Uh, we opened up with a voiceover of Mark Ruffalo, AKA She-Hulk's cousin, Bruce, AKA the Hulk, talking to her about the difficulties of being a superhero. We then get a scene of some kind of squad of police or soldiers outside of an event. Uh, with some special weaponry. Uh, you know, maybe they're there to take down the She-Hulk, possibly. I'm wondering if they're going to use this as an opportunity to kind of, like, bring in any of the, like, elements from those Hulk films that we haven't really been able to play with since they haven't been able to make a Hulk movie. Oh, you're talking, like, Hulkbusters and everything. Maybe it's, like, Thunderbolts, yeah. you know, leading the charge. Mm -hmm. I could see that. Although they're going to have to recast the role of Ross since... You know, William Hurt did just recently pass away, so. But up next, we go inside of most likely the same event where shit's gone awry uh, with people fleeing as, you know, red security lights are going off, which has become kind of a staple of the Marvel series at this point. We then get a shot of this 
I don't know, goon squad looking group with a bunch of weapons you'd expect to see thugs wielding in a 90s video games. I mean, we got like chains, <laughs> pipes, crowbars. Uh, some people are speculating that this could be the wrecking crew eventually. Um, I do believe there was a rumor that they might make an appearance, but I mean, who knows? Uh, they've had a lot of run-ins with the cousins in the comics, so it does make sense. Uh, you know, they got their powers from a magical crowbar. Uh, okay. so, <laughs> so who knows? Maybe we'll see their origin story play out here somehow. What, like a quantum enhanced, like, I fucking crowbar? No clue what direction they'll take that group in. But they're, you know, fun villains, and it'll lead to some really cool action sequences if they do go mm. that route. We then see a car crash, and we get a look at Jen starting to hulk out afterwards. Uh, then we see Jen in her classic comic book costume, which we saw in the teaser already. After this moment, we get introduced to her supporting cast briefly. Uh, they all seem to be co-workers at her law firm. Speaking of which, we have a moment then with Jen's boss telling her that he wants her to be in charge of their superhero law division. Uh, this is straight from the comics and a great source of a lot of comedy and, you know, just a different look at the Marvel Universe. I'm glad, you know, we're going to see that transfer over to here like I, I wonder if they're going to how many like cameos we could possibly get in a series like this but i i feel like they'll probably keep it very limited who knows i mean like we talked about previously uh there was that rumor that daredevil would be popping up which would make sense since you know matt is a lawyer uh mm -hmm. but yeah i mean the sky's the limit really i would just expect them to be more you know heroes and villains that operate on the you know outskirts of the Marvel Universe who aren't necessarily characters that they want to feature in films or other series, you know, at least at the at the moment. I mean, I'd still like to see them bring back Jessica to see their uh, dynamic on screen, you know? That would be amazing and would make perfect sense. And I wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't show up in the Daredevil series also. I mean, it'd be a great way to like introduce her into the MCU proper. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking of which, this is something we didn't cover in the news because it just might be a, a huge coincidence. Uh, today on uh, Kristen Ritter's uh, Instagram, she shared a picture of her and uh, Michael Coulter together. Hmm. So, of course, you know, with the Daredevil announcement, like people hmm. went absolutely apeshit. So. <laughs> we'll see if it means anything, if it was like her way of hinting of, you know, things to come. But, you know. I'm sure, once again, it's just, you know, two friends meeting up. So you're saying Finn Jones didn't post a picture of, you know, Iron Fist dear, as dear well? Dear God, I hope not, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, moving on, in the next scene, we meet up with Tim Roth, a.k.a. The Abomination. Uh, it would seem that he might be one of Jen's clients. Uh, he's in the same jail cell as uh, we saw him in Shang-Chi. Uh, we did find out in the press release that Wong will also be part of the series. So my guess is they're going to kind of explain exactly what the hell that whole like cage fighting sequence was all about <laughs> in Shang-Chi. Also, while we've been kind of shitting on the CGI, you know, shown in the trailer, I will say I did think that the Abomination CGI looked pretty damn good. Yeah, it's just the two Hulks. I, I I wasn't too impressed with either of them. No, I agree 100%. I feel like the reason uh, Jennifer's going to be, you know, helping him out, whatever, or being assigned to him is because he's trying to become a more reformed man. You know, the abomination. He's no longer a monster. I don't know, man. I don't trust the abomination. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the angle he's working, but 
I don't see the abomination reforming anytime soon. Eh, it's a comedy. Anything can happen, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I could see him being part of uh, Valentina's, uh, you know, uh, Thunderbolts group. No, oh, no, I could totally see that. You know, I could see that eventually being, you know, the mm-hmm. direction they had with the character. Uh, but I'm hoping that we get at least a, a, a scene with, you know, She-Hulk and Abomination throwing down. That'd be awesome. But after this, we get a whole sequence with Professor Hulk in a lab of some sort trying to help Jen hone her powers. So if She-Hulk's origin story is similar to her comic book counterpart, I feel like Bruce would feel extra responsible and, like, borderline guilty, um, you know, since it's his blood transfusion that, you know, saves her life, but at the same time transforms her into She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Also, the fact that we see Professor Hulk here uh, when the last time we saw him was as Bruce Banner at the end of Shang-Chi has a lot of people like scratching their heads. My guess would be that the events of the show coincide with what's going on in the Shang-Chi film, uh, especially since we see Abomination and we know Wong is showing up. But also, like, Bruce can go back and forth between the two forms. Yeah, that's what I was going right? to say. And since he has more control over the Hulk now, like, I'm sure that's more true than ever. Yeah, I, the, I, the whole point of this sequence is just so that she learns how to do the same as him. But yeah, there's no way they would even make a show like this if they couldn't send her back to regular. That's so much money <laughs> doing all those scenes in CGI. Bruce, of course, can switch back and forth. But why would you? Right. If you could be Hulk well, we all did time, see in the not? in the uh, <laughs> teaser trailer that he is Bruce at one point too. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. just an excuse for some sites to write negative articles and try to like call out Marvel for continuity issues that aren't really there. Because trust me, if it was a continuity issue, we'd be all over it. <laughs> we then see moments of Jen kind of struggling with her new life as she Hulk, uh, as we see her hulked up at work, and then possibly a moment after she gets fired since she has this box very typical of someone who's had to like clear out their desk maybe this is actually before she becomes she-hulk and they you know hire her back um once she you know gains the powers especially with your you know their new mm. superhero you know division uh but that's just once again be speculating it makes sense you want someone who kind of is like a superhero to represent your superheroes also during the sequence we have a group of reporters gathering outside of you know jen's house so something must have gone down or happened Mm -hmm. um you know that it's now public knowledge that jen is she hulk uh we then go into a montage of jen trying to just live her life uh there's moments of her on the red carpet which possibly could be uh at the same event that we see in the beginning of the trailer uh and then we get a couple of shots of her as she hulk hanging out with her friends uh during all this uh we get to see her training with bruce once again it looks like a big theme of the series is going to be jen like coming to terms and just accepting her new life as she hulk and whether she's going to end up following in her cousin's heroic giant footsteps which she doesn't sound too interested in doing based off what she said in this trailer yeah she's got this great line about you know that lifestyle being for orphans and billionaires or something i'm paraphrasing though but moving on we get our first look at titania uh in the middle of a battle with jen in a courtroom uh we also get a glimpse of the fucking frogman <laughs> which is a gray d character from the comics uh he feels very power ranger inspired here uh but i'm absolutely thrilled that he's going to be part of this show. He almost looked like a character out of um, Peacemaker. 
the way he's designed. Oh, this. he absolutely <laughs> belongs in a show like Peacemaker, regardless of that, <laughs> yo, being DC. Uh, the only time I've ever really been exposed to the characters in the pages of Spider-Man. I know his father used to be a villain, uh, but the character's absolutely absurd and should be a fun time, you know, to have him part of the show. And then in the final moments of the trailer, we see Jen swiping on a dating app uh, with one of the many dates she goes on uh, being with none other than the former WWE superstar David Otunga, which I don't think I've thought about in like the last five years. Uh, so it kind of caught me off guard. Uh, it fits. He's a lawyer, too. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I don't see that coming into play, but sure. <laughs> he, was he wearing the little bow tie? Uh, I don't know. He was flexing. I don't uh, know. <laughs> anyway, we, she finally finds the right suitor as we see her carry him off into the bedroom. So I wasn't necessarily blown away by anything we got here. And I think part of that was I was expecting more of a comedic tone. Uh, which I'm sure we're going to get, but I don't think this did much to really show it off. But since it's under two minutes, it's really just kind of a teaser. And I think they're more interested in really just introducing, you know, She-Hulk as a character. Um, but with that being said, I really hope they're able to, like, capture the comedic side of Jen. Uh, because we've said it before in the past that, you know, She-Hulk was kind of Deadpool before Deadpool. Uh, with her constantly mm. like breaking the fourth wall and you know addressing readers in uh, John Byrne's classic 90s sensational She-Hulk. Uh, I'm still you know intrigued, don't get me wrong, because you know she's such a fun character. And I always kind of enjoyed how she played such a big contrast to Bruce in the comics, originally at least, which we won't necessarily see play out here because of the stage that the MCU's Hulk is currently in. But in the comics, like Bruce treats Hulk as a curse where Jen originally in the comics comes to love being the She-Hulk and everything that comes with it. And that's partially because she's much more in control than Bruce is. I mean, she loves it so much that even at one point she chooses to live primarily as She-Hulk. Uh, so that whole dynamic feels kind of like a lost opportunity, but I don't know. It's not really a game changer for me. Uh, because I'm sure at the end of this season or series, we're going to see a real like self-confident version of the character. I'm guessing that's a big part of her journey. So that whole dynamic feels like a lost opportunity, but I don't know. It's not really a game changer for me because I'm sure at the end of the day, you know, we're going to see more of a self-confident version of that character. And that's what this whole like, you know, season at least is going to like lead to like her coming into her own. As far as what we've known of the character of doing those type of Deadpool like acts, like I feel like if anything, it'll be a, an inner monologue at best. I don't feel like they're going to be doing fourth wall breaks of this show. But I, I definitely see that being the journey that I agree with you there, where it's going to be her just coming to find herself, you know, that type of story. But with that being said, they need to nail that CGI down because, I mean, if she's going to be living most of her life as She-Hulk eventually, I mean, that CGI just isn't up to snuff, especially comparatively speaking of what we've gotten from Marvel in the past. Yeah, some of those early series were very impressive in what they were showing off uh, CGI wise. So seeing something like this where it definitely needs a character with a lot of CGI at yes, all times. That's, like featured predominantly <laughs> throughout. Yeah, you think you would they would throw the whole wallet. Like at this isn't you like know? Moon Knight with the Jackal where it's just in mm -hmm. a handful of scenes. I mean, the whole series is going to be, you know, 
revolving around She-Hulk and possibly her cousin, the Hulk. So, and we already know what the Hulk is supposed to look like from the films. So mm -hmm. it's going to be really glaring. He's also not on par from what we've gotten in the past because I can't believe it's a case of money. Like, it can't be because of, like, budgetary reasons. I mean, this is fucking Disney, right? <laughs> They're printing mm -hmm. money over there. So I, I'm guessing that, you know, the rumors are true and that it's just a case of these, like, CGI, you know, studios not be able to, like, operate in full force. But yeah, again, thank God, you know, those rumors of it being canceled or pushed back to next year, I should say, um, aren't true because it's coming out August 17th. Also briefly, uh, we did get trailers for The Boys and uh, Umbrella Academy. Uh, we're not going to do full breakdowns uh, just because they were very like montage -y, So I don't think it necessarily mm. warrants a full breakdown. But kind of what we see in the trailer is that Homelander is on like an apology tour, um, you know, trying to get back, you know, in the good graces of, you know, the public's eye. Uh, you know, we also see, you know, how Butcher has been handling things afterwards. It seems like he's gone on some kind of like hiatus, maybe, um, where he's not supposed to be like, you know, hunting, you know, the seven. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case. As we see him get his hands on a drug that allows him to get the powers of, you know, a superhero for 24 hours. Um, so I'm sure that's going to lead to him trying to take the heads, you know, of the seven, uh, especially after the events of last season. Uh, it'll also be interesting to see how his relationship with his son develops. And we also get introduced to the boys version of Captain America, uh, Soldier Boy. Uh, who's being played by a uh, dude from Supernatural. I... Yeah, uh, Jensen Ank Ackles, I think is how you say his sure. last name. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a bad actor. I enjoyed him in uh, My Bloody Valentine, the remake. So, hmm. <laughs> But I think that's the last time I saw him in anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a Supernatural guy, sorry. Uh, I'm like, I think that's been a while. Yeah, right. it, yes, <laughs> yes, at least 10 years. So, <laughs> And there's been like 12 or 20 seasons of Supernatural since. So, but anyway, yes. uh, I mean, it, it, the trailer looks amazing. I'm super excited for this series. And I've, I mean, goddamn, I've missed it. So I'm glad that, you know, we're finally back on track. And it, God, it's right around the corner. It'll be dropping in the next two weeks, right? Yeah, it's going to be coming out in June. I'm just excited to see what's going to go down with Huey and his storyline because, you know, at the end of last season, he's joined up with some like political group that's clearly already owned by Vought. So and we're and we're gonna, we know it's going to fall apart in this one. That's why everything goes to shit. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I, for that Butcher's going to slap, some, you know, some sense into him, I'm sure. Oh, so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so when it comes to the Umbrella Academy trailer, uh, I think this is season three. Uh, it, it just looks like complete insanity. Uh, we know from where we left off last uh, season that due to the group's actions, they've caused a time paradox. And now they're going to be facing off against the Sparrows, who's a group that seems to be formed in their place by uh, their founder. From what I got from this trailer, it, it seems like we're not going to be doing that trope where, you know, the team gets separated for a good portion of the season. That's kind of how like season two played out, um, which it worked. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of series does that. So I, I kind of hope that we move past that and we just get to see more of the team interacting together, like, you know, episode for episode, because I feel like that's really the strength of the series of, you know, watching the characters interact and, you know, how close they are together as a family, uh, which I feel like they really, you know, demonstrated well in last season. 
I'm also really looking forward to seeing the team like go up against, you know, another team with similar powers and who and who might be more ruthless. I'm just wondering if they're going to actually be able to get out of this mess and timeline without destroying the world again, uh, you know, which has happened the last two seasons. So, um, you know, or that's just going to be a storyline that's continued throughout the entire series. It keeps things fresh, you know, new world every time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of becoming like a superhero team version of Quantum Leap, honestly. Or uh, Sliders, actually. Way before your time, Christian. Uh, clearly. <laughs> By the way, I mean, just like the boys after a couple years hiatus, I I'm just happy to have the show back. So, and this is coming out sometime in the summer also. Is there a date on this, Christian? Yeah, it's going to be coming out June 22nd, right before my birthday. It's going to be a jam-packed June. And fuck exactly. your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Can't don't, say mean things about my birthday every year. Don't be hunted for the hug, man. <laughs> and now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Summer is coming, the sun is shining, shirts are off, and your balls are smooth. You heard that right. Your friends at Manscaped are here to make sure your beach balls are as smooth as Floridian sand. In the summer, you want to kill some cold beers and barbecues, not kill the vibe with pubes peeking out of your swim trunks. That's why Manscaped has their performance package 4.0 to keep the party of your pants looking crisp and refreshing all summer long. Dive headfirst into summer by joining the 4 million men worldwide who try Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow. It's summertime, gents, and if you're trying to get lucky during convention season, make sure your Ewoks are high and tight. Maybe someone will want to touch your yub yubs. That's right, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bod. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Prepper Viber Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. Their Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. And did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? From the shower to the lake, from your chest scruff all the way down to your ball throw, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the best trimmer around. Once your downstairs weeds are taken care of, look after the rest with Manscaped's liquid formulations. Before heading outside, use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant to stay cool in the heat. With a soothing aloe vera formula, it's the best in the business for below the waist freshness. This clear drying formula will keep you in tip top shape even at the hottest barbecue or the longest convention line. And Manscaped's even throwing in two free gifts with their performance package 4.0, the Manscaped boxers and the shed travel bag that will bring your comfort to another level. Want to take your grooming game even further? Take a look at Manscaped Shears 2.0, a package that has everything you need to look pristine. Nail cutters, tweezers, and grooming scissors. With the performance package, your balls will be ready to impress, but make sure you cover the rest with the Shears 2.0, and you'll be ready to perform from head to toe. So listeners, get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's right, 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. This is the summer to turn your package into the full package with Manscaped. 
All right, Christian, you got a review for us this week? That's right. I watched the TV series Halo on Paramount+. Plus. Warning, spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Halo, the series ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. The Covenant planet could be right there. We just can't see it. I'll send the Marines. You send 10,000 Marines, you lose 10,000 Marines. Silver Team can do it. Afternoon. Come to daddy. Aliens threatened human existence in an epic 26th century showdown in this TV series based on the video game. Halo was created by Stephen Kang and Kyle Killian and stars Pablo Schreiber. The potential for a successful Halo show or movie franchise has been talked about for years, and many have been, you know, patiently waiting for a big studio to take a stab at it. And at a first glance, the Paramount series, you know, looked to be our champion for a live action take of Master Chief. And even though they braced fans by telling them this would be, you know, a different timeline and an original story, I don't think any of us were prepared for just how far outside the source material they were going to go. And while Chief taking off his helmet sparked outrage from the internet, this show's biggest sin in the end was its narrative and poor character developments that suffered greatly by its poor dialogue. You could say the main show's focus was Master Chief's awakening, you know, he's undoing the brainwashing and numbing to his emotions that Dr. Halsey put in him. We get this kind of almost equilibrium style story as John 117 through the power of the Covenant artifact learns the truth of what happened to him and how he became the UNS see's ultimate weapon um story beats like you know what does it mean to be alive and what does it mean to be human are there but the script and performance by pablo schreiber leave a ton to be desired um weirdly enough the characters i had the most issues with in my first episode reactions became the most compelling as the show tried to force this much less interesting version of master chief upon us um halsey and her unredeemable story arc was much more interesting to watch along with kwan Ha, whose arc felt like anything but a Halo story, still was a whole lot more enjoyable than the main character that seemed like a star of a low-tier HBO series. When I look at this story's bones, I feel like there's ways to have, you know, told it without losing the base characteristics of Master Chief. And what's weird about that is I feel like we got this, you know, glimpse of that kind of story when, you know, him and Silver Team went on a mission in the season finale. You know, there they had to work together and, you know, problem solve, and you got to see a whole lot more character from each team member. That made for an interesting team dynamic and also showed off, you know, Chief's leadership skills. You know, everything between the first episode and last episode is just muddied down by, you know, Master Chief learning how to feel and coming to love a, you know, woman that was raised by the Covenant. You know, it's a setting because we've seen how you know characters like Halo's Master Chief can work in shows like The Mandalorian you know that spend more time trying to earn that emotional gain for their characters and at the same time do it all behind a mask where you don't even see the emotion on his face. It's just disappointing that this series, you know, genuinely missed that mark. However, it's not all bad. There are plenty of world building elements that would make for, you know, an interesting second season. Even while I'm dissatisfied with the main character, I think the journeys of Quan Ha and Magical, along with Halsey's quest to, you know, progress humanity at any cost, were bits outside the main story that were well handled. And on top of that, when the show actually got going with its action sequences, I thought they were entertaining to watch. The finale had some pretty great transitions from CGI action to practical, 
getting to see brutes, elites, and grunts all in action was pretty awesome. You know, it really felt like a moment out of the game. And also, Cortana, who was one of my biggest contentions from, from my trailer reaction, looked way better in motion. I mean, it was night and day from what I thought it was going to be like. Though, I wasn't a big fan of the changes they did with her either. Anyway, a little bit more, you know, reliance on source material could do this show some good. You know, without spoiling anything really, I think the show is, you know, setting up for their version of the Fall of Reach in the second season, which would be an exciting story to see in live action. I just don't know, though, if the showrunners have a good grasp on what, you know, Halo is. You know, it, it really felt like at times that they had just watched a five minute breakdown of the, you know, the most recent games and thought that that was all that they would need to know before writing this script. And it was also weird that we saw all these different weapons from Infinite and even, you know, we got an, a glimpse of Atriox in this show, I guess as their way of trying to make a big connection with the most recent game and, you know, give some fan service, but it clearly wasn't enough to win over those diehard fans. But anyways, for me, my grade for the Halo series is going to be a C-. There's stuff that I enjoyed, but the you know overall story and when I look back at everything we got with Master Chief, it makes me not want to see anything else from it. Because I'm positive there are better ways to handle a show like this. All right, Damon, you watched a movie this week. That's right, Christian. I watched the remake of Firestarter. Warning, spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Firestarter ahead. You have been warned. Our responsibility is getting her ready. Our responsibility? is to protect her. Charlie? If they catch her, they're gonna put her in a cage. Charlie? They're gonna run tests on her for the rest of her life. We'll never see her again. If who catches me? A young girl tries to understand how she mysteriously gained the power to set things on fire with her mind. This was directed by Keith Thomas and stars Zac Efron. Alright, so up front, I was never a big fan of the original film, and with the release of a very pedestrian trailer, I thought the remake of Firestarter was gonna be an easy pass. But then when I saw it was directed by Keith Thomas, the director of one of my favorite horror films last year, The Vigil, I decided to go ahead and just throw caution to the wind and check it out anyway. Unfortunately, I should have trusted my instincts, because when it comes to Stephen King adaptations, or hell, even horror remakes, Firestarter rates somewhere near the bottom of the list. And dear lord, that's saying a lot. So in the film, we're following a couple who has psychic abilities, and they're trying to protect their daughter, who is a powerful pyrokinetic from this shady government agency. Now overall, as a premise, it sounds like it has lots of potential, and interesting enough, I'm sure the Stephen King story is great. But as a film, the remake is a listless, uninspired, paint-by-numbers excursion. I mean, for me, the only thing that made the film faintly tolerable is the main theme composed by the great John Carpenter. Otherwise, I actually started to question whether or not they were going for camp, because I just couldn't fathom the sheer volume of cringe-inducing moments not being intentional. Uh, the script felt strangely sterile, and at no point did I invest in the family, because it, it felt like they barely knew each other for some reason. I mean, there was little to no chemistry at all. It was like witnessing a table read when a cast meets each other for the first time, and really that might be me being kind. 
I also think, like, since the original Stephen King adaptation, we've kind of seen different versions of the story a thousand times on film. So, here, Keith Thomas really needed to break new ground, but... <laughs> Unfortunately, that was far from the case. I would even be willing to give them a pass if they would have at least used the girls' like fire-starting abilities in some kind of interesting new way. You know, where it's a case of them covering up the lack of substance with a little spectacle. Movies do that all the time. I mean, have her walking around setting people's eyeballs on fire shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm easily amused, what the hell? And it would definitely be an upgrade compared to what we got here. But anyway, I'm not going to waste another moment of time talking about this film. Remakes like Firestarter is the reason why remakes have a bad name. So do yourself a favor, avoid this film at all costs, go ahead and check out the original Stephen King adaptation. It's definitely not great, but it's still a fun nostalgic ride and a whole lot better than what we got here. Uh, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and give Firestarter 2022 an F. Don't get burned, stay the hell away from this film. <laughs> Sorry. This week's episode is also sponsored by Athletic Greens. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I realized gamer foods like energy drinks and chips weren't all that nutritional. I hated taking vitamins as well and wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. And luckily with AG1, I've found a tropical flavored blend that I drink every single morning. Well, Christian, that's because with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery focus, and aging. You know, all of the things. I even have my family hooked on it, Christian, and they love it. We're even making sure to take it with us on vacation this summer. Your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is important for a recluse streamer like me that admittedly doesn't get enough sunlight. And let me tell you, I've never slept better, and that's because AG1 supports better sleep quality along with mental clarity and alertness. And you also have to love the price. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and that's cheaper than buying all the supplements yourself. And we're not alone in loving athletics greens because currently they have over 7,000 five-star reviews. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit Athletic athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Their actions disappointed millions of WWE fans and their fellow superstars. So because of what Sasha and Naomi did this past Monday night, they have been suspended indefinitely. And we will have a future tournament to crown the new WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. All right, Christian, so we don't have tons of time this week, so we're not going to do our usual full breakdown of this week's episode of Dynamite. But we had some interesting drama develop in WWE that I thought we should talk about. So apparently, Sasha Banks and Naomi walked out of Raw as it was happening live. 
Uh, they were booked in a six-pack challenge match uh, to see who the number one contender would be for Bianca Belair's Raw Women's title uh, at the pay-per-view. The rumor going around is that the finish of the match would see Naomi actually pin Sasha to become the number one contender and to go on and, you know, face her at the pay-per-view with Sasha on SmackDown, then becoming the number one contender and facing off against Ronda Rousey at the hell in the cell pay-per-view. So apparently they both walked into John Laurinaitis's office during the show, uh, told him that they were leaving and left the women's titles on his desk. Uh, this of course left everyone scrambling rambling trying to figure out you know what to do with the show and basically having to rebook everything and instead of getting the six-pack challenge match we got a number one contenders match between asuka and uh becky lynch uh which saw asuka go on to win and you know so she'll now be challenging bianca at the pay-per-view which was is going to be a fantastic match so in an unprecedented move WWE put out a press release while Raw was live on the air, uh, basically trying to get ahead of the story. Uh, it reads, during the broadcast, they walked into WWE's head of talent relation, John Laurinaitis' office, with their suitcases in hand, placed their tag team championship belts, they said belts, that's weird, uh, onto the desk and walked out, you know, an intern got fired for that. Uh-huh. Uh, they claimed <laughs> that they weren't respected enough as tag team champions, and even though that they had eight hours to rehearse and construct their match, they claimed that they were uncomfortable in the ring with two of their opponents, even though that they've had matches with those two individuals in the past with no consequences. Monday Night Raw is a scripted live TV show, in case you're wondering, uh, whose characters are expected to perform the requirements of their contracts. We regret that we were unable to deliver as advertised tonight's main events, which is fucking hilarious because they scrap main events all the time in the middle of Raw. (laughs) (laughs) But we don't get press releases on those occasions. Um, This was obviously, you know, done in a very vindictive, you know, venomous way to try to garner Mm -hmm. public opinion in their favor. I, of course, once I saw this, thought like right away that this was going to be a work uh, of some sort just because it's just absolutely insane. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, especially them putting out a press release like you know that quickly uh and, you know and they wrote the whole like you know story into the angle for the night where becky actually talks about seeing the tag team go into uh lauren Ice's office and like leave the titles behind so it became part of the show so I was like, is okay. this real? Is it not? But apparently, <laughs> according to all sources, this is legit. This really did happen. Um, I guess a lot of talent backstage aren't very sympathetic to Sasha Banks. And not a lot of people seem to be mentioning Naomi's name. Uh, there is a report out there that she is in the middle of like contract negotiations. So I don't know if that like played into her choice to walk out. If I would guess the reason why some of the talent might not necessarily be so sympathetic, you know, to their cause is just because of the spot that they were about to get with, you know, being number one contenders on both shows and, you know, getting, you know, title matches at the pay-per-view. Whereas half of the, rosters kind of stuck chasing after the 24 7 title um mm-hmm. but also at the same time like you know walking out in the middle of a show i feel like is much different than like no showing 
an event. Whereas, you know, you've already got your ducks in place. If you walk out in the middle of, you know, let's just say it's a regular job. If you walk out in the middle of your shift, then all your fellow coworkers have to pick up your slack, you know? So I feel like it's also probably part of that. It's just not, you know, super professional, um, you know, and I, I, I feel like they have every right to air their grievances. I feel like they have every right to quit WWE if they want to, mm. you know, um, you know, and I know they're under contract, but at the same token, like WWE can fucking release talent whenever they want. So why can't WWE talent release WWE whenever they want, you know, and just walk away from the company? I mean, yeah, yeah, you, you're obligated to that like 90 day no release clause. But I mean, if they can fire you anytime, I feel like you should be able to quit at any time, you know, and I feel like that should be within your rights, and especially if you're not happy, you know, with creative, you know, I mean, I see wrestlers as artists, you know, and I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, their marks for leaving, you know, you know, the titles are props. We've heard it in the past from Sasha. I mean, she actually went on sabbatical what a couple of years back because of the way that they were treating the tag team titles when they had her and Bailey drop the belts at WrestleMania. That's when she kind of had her episode that's well documented now. Um, and she took like a six month like sabbatical from the company. So we know she's extremely passionate about her job and her art. And I can't hold that against them. Could they have handled the situation better? Probably, but at the same time, we haven't heard their side of the story, so we don't know exactly mm -hmm. what went down or what was said. I, part of the story is that they did have a meeting with Vince at one point during the day, so maybe something was said or done that you know just you know set them off, and they just enough's enough. Um, but at the same time, I feel like you should leave before the show starts, you know, just for your fellow wrestlers, so they're not caught in a you know shitty situation. But with that being said, I mean, how many times have we heard about like raw scripts literally being torn up and thrown out like hours before, you know, raw goes live on air. So, <laughs> I mean, they're probably the used to it at this point. Mm. It's just the fact that it's, you know, because of a fellow coworker and not, you know, the crazy old man, you know, who's you know signing the checks. I'm sure that's the difference. I mean, from the way I see it. And because this is the second time Sasha Banks has jumped out because of the tag team titles, I, I'm figuring that she's got in her mind that she's, you know, fighting for opportunity when it comes to these tag titles, giving the women more to do on the shows with introducing titles like these. But as we've seen with WWE and tag titles and even their regular like lower card titles in the, uh, you know, the IC title and the US title, they don't. It, it's it's here it's touch and go with all of those oh, no. they don't care they're treated like a joke all. absolutely exactly absolutely they're cannon fodder and a lot of times and i think this is what some people are bumping up against a lot of times the tag team champions are treated like a joke also i don't know how many times mm -hmm. in the past uh you know throughout the years we've seen you know the raw where you know the number one contender for you know the you know heavyweight title ends up you know proving themselves by you know beating the tag team champions in like a, a handicap match you know that felt like a, a trope of raw for years so tag teams have always been looked upon as lesser than in wwe which is a real shame because that wasn't always the case mm -hmm. um but that's just how Vince operates and how he views, you know, the tag team division. And we know that Sasha and Bailey fought hard for, you know, women tag team belts, you know, for that division. 
So I'm sure it's even more heartbreaking for them to see it go on the wayside. Um, you know, and who knows what she was promised when, you know, she became tag team champion. Uh, you know, maybe they told her that, you know, no, we're going to put a new renewed focus on these belts and we're going to make them mean something. Um, which at this point, I feel like she should definitely take with a grain of salt because <laughs> I'm sure they've all heard those claims before. But maybe this was the straw that broke the camel's back. And we we don't know the full story. But I feel like if this was a main event caliber male talent that went to management and complained about a storyline or angle, it might have been handled differently. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, think about RK-Bro if they did this. Exactly. Well, I mean, originally, RK-Bro was supposed to be a three-week storyline. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know if it was Randy who went to them and said, no, I want to keep on doing this, or, you know, it was management. But, you know, if Randy Orton went into the office and he, you know, aired his displeasure about a storyline or angle, they probably would listen, right? Now, I mean, Randy's been with the company for 20 years, but Sasha's almost been there for 10 years. And she's at least in the top three of, you know, their women's division right now. And she has been for a long period of time. So you would think that she would get at least the same respect that the male talent gets. Sasha and, you know, Naomi might be totally in the wrong. Uh, and we won't really know until we hear their side of things. Uh, but it's really hard for me to feel like that's not the case, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that that wouldn't come into play somehow. And maybe it's more of an issue of, you know, them demanding the respect that they deserve. I just wouldn't have walked out in the middle of a live show, you know, just because, you know, it hurts the rest of the roster, not just, you know, Vince. Like I said, it's hard to formulate a real opinion because we don't know the full story yet. So mm. hopefully that comes into light soon. Either way, if Naomi and Sasha Banks were to get released, I would love to see them. I like in other just companies. can't imagine them releasing them. You know, I and know. the problem is <laughs> the way that those contracts are structured. And Na Naomi's you know contract might be up soon. But every day that they don't work and they, they sit out just gets mm -hmm. added on to their contract. So WWE can pretty much have them sit at home for as long as they want until they choose to come back to work. I mean, they did this to Ali recently. He asked for mm -hmm. his release in a very public manner, and they obviously <laughs> weren't giving it to him, um, probably because of the way he asked for it. So, you know, they had him sitting at home and eventually they wore him down and now he's back on TV. Like I said, these contracts give WWE the upper hand in every form and fashion, you know, where, you know, they don't have to honor the terms of the contract. Unfortunately, on the flip side, the wrestlers do, even though they're supposed to be considered, you know, independent contractors. That's not the case. But... I mean, you can make the argument that they're the ones who signed the fucking contract <laughs> and they're not like other athletes, you know, where they're part of leagues that have, you know, unions that, you know, fight for the rights and represent, you know, their best interests. So I really don't see things changing until the wrestlers finally like form a union. And unfortunately, I feel like WWE has done a fantastic job of preventing that from happening oh. after the last talks that were coming oh, up. Oh, they have a long history of preventing that from mm -hmm. happening. So, 
Well, Christian, it's late and we are desperately out of time to quote Tony Schiavone. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back next week and, you know, we'll be diving into a full on preview of AEW's Double or Nothing. So join us then. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, next week, we're going to have a review for Alex Garland's Men. And we'll also be covering all the news that comes out of Star Wars Celebration. Plus, we'll be giving you a preview for AEW's Double or Nothing. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. The creature is driven by rage and pursued by an investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. 